right, as we continue to worship together, let's just open up our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Today, we're going to be reflecting on Scripture from James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and verses 14 through 17. My brothers and sisters, believers in our gracious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges without evil thoughts, with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you, are, you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Our hearts and minds are open. Uh, Pastor Maggie, I just want to mention that I took the volunteer accelerator as well, and I got knitting, knitting ministry. I've never knitted, and so I'm getting really excited about this new opportunity I have to serve here at Asbury. Uh, why do you suppose that, that we as human beings like to play favorites? <laughs> we all do it, don't we? Uh, one of my favorite comedians is Brian Regan, and he has a bit where he says, uh, I have two wonderful kids and, and uh, another one. <laughs> you know, one of the most basic of our human needs is the need to belong. God has created us to live life together. And this need drives all of our social connections, but it can be kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, it helps us maintain connection with fellow human beings. And on the other hand, it's such a powerful force that it can push us to do things that are outside of our value system. It can drive us to play favorites. Uh, last week, we began this series here in Modern on the uh, letter of James. Uh, and this was wrote to, written to a people who were trying to uh, find a new way to live out a life of faith. Now, we're not 100% who wrote the letter of James. Uh, there's three possibilities. There's James, son of Zebedee, 
who was with Jesus pretty much throughout his ministry. And then there was James, son of Alphaeus, who was uh, also one of the 12 apostles. And then we have my favorite for, for the person who it could be, which is James, the brother of Jesus. And, and there's two reasons why this is my favorite. One is the, the scholarly way of looking at it. You know, James, as I said last week, is kind of a, is not a huge theological work. You know, that you're not going to find a lot of confusion. James goes right to the point. And it would make sense for James's brother to be the writer because he probably didn't get on board to the Jesus movement until after Jesus' death and resurrection. There's another reason why I hope it's James. And can you imagine, right, one of your siblings saying that I'm the savior of the world <laughs> and you jump on board with that person. Uh, in this letter, the writer, whichever James is, is concerned with people's faith being corrupted. Uh, some of these new believers are what he calls double-minded. You know what I mean? He's got, they got one foot in the world and they've got one foot in this Jesus uh, movement. And James is saying that it cannot be that way. He had some pretty harsh words for people that he considered to be double-minded. He said they are unstable in all of their ways. Uh, James challenges the believers in chapter one to be doers of the word, not only hearers who mislead themselves. To be genuine doers of the word, we must uphold the value of every person, treating all people with respect and honor. If we want to embody the way of Jesus, we can't play favorites. In the passage that uh, Julie read for us this morning, and thank you, Julie, I sent her the wrong passage. I sent her last week's passage, and so she was kind of reading it cold. Uh, in this passage, James is talking about how we tend to play favorites with those that we think may have more wealth or more power. Now, I want to be clear, this is not a new problem for the ancient church. Social status was extremely important during this time. The wealthy in the group would have had an expectation of being treated different when they walked into the room, whether it was coming to your house for dinner or coming to a community activity, they would expect special treatment. Likewise, the poor amongst the group would have known their place. They would have known that they would be on the outside looking in, if you will. We see Paul address a similar problem in some of his writings where the church would have these church-wide dinner parties and the wealthy would eat up all the food and drink up all the drink before the poor, the working class, even got off work and could make it to the church gathering. Paul said that that defamed the Lord's table. 
Table fellowship was extremely important during this time of the early church. It was an activity that pointed to the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. It was a symbol that things were different. It was a symbol that everyone was important, that everyone was valuable, that everyone had a seat at the table. And when we play favorites, we dishonor Christ himself. James calls attention back to the central teachings of Jesus' message. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. There's nothing especially remarkable here. This is something that the believers of God have held for thousands of years. You've got uh, Jesus and Paul in here in James referring to an ancient text. Love your neighbor as yourself. The difference is what James is doing with the practical nature of how he's writing. James is holding up a mirror to the people, and he's essentially saying, you are Jesus followers. Uh, I take it that you believe that we should love our neighbors, and yet you play favorites with the people that you think can get you something, and you're indifferent to the people that are below you. You know, in our, our modern-day context of church, social status is not as apparent as it was in the early church. In the ancient world, there was a much greater divide in the wealth gap. You had the, the really rich who were the rulers and their families. Then you had the rich who owned land then you had everybody else, <laughs> the poor. James is telling us to be genuine doers of the word. We must uphold the value of each and every person, treating everyone with honor and respect. I believe that we're called to do more than just believe in Jesus. I think we're even called to do more than follow Jesus. I believe that we are called to embody Jesus. James uh, kind of puts it this way. I'm going to read this from the message. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, good morning, friend, be clothed in Christ. 
be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? James is challenging the people of his day to be doers of the word, to bridge the gap between where they are right now and where God knows that they can be. One of the great thinkers of our modern times is Dallas Willard. And Willard uh, does such a great job of helping put how to live out your faith in a practical way. He says this about spiritual maturity. Willard says spiritual maturity is seen in the disciple who who effortlessly does what Jesus would do in his or her place. When we play favorites, we are not doing what Jesus did. Uh, in, In the story this morning, we've encountered a powerful message of the dangers of favoritism and partiality, James compels us to confront this issue head on, urging us as the body of Christ to follow him and to treat people with dignity. Now, I'm gonna give just a couple things that I think can help us move toward being people who do just that. And the first thing is you have to examine your own bias. Our biases, they kind of leak, lurk between, you know, just below the surface, don't they? And, And it often doesn't take a lot of digging for them to just bubble up. And, and to confront this is quite a challenge. And, and it begs for you to ask the question of yourself this week, as I'll be asking of myself, where in my life do I show favoritism? It, it requires us to take a deep look at what motivates us. Let's start by acknowledging that we all have bias. Our life expectations, our our cultural backgrounds, our, our upbringing shape how we see the world. It is essential to identify that before we can overcome it. Identify the specific areas in which your own bias may show up. You know, it might show up in how you think of of another group of people, how you you think of age, how you you think of social status. There are countless factors. Uh, it, It probably shows up more prevalently today with how we think about people who think politically different from us. 
Did you know that there's real research out there that, that shows that many people would rather their child marry someone of a different religion than of a different political way of thinking? That blows me away. Consider the origins of your bias. Our experiences, our upbringing, our cultural surroundings contribute to all of these things. And understanding our bias can help us overcome them. Uh, I want to share a fun story about a friend of mine uh, who back in the 90s when I was at St. Mark United Methodist as a youth pastor, we would go to a camp called Mountaintop. Now this was a mission camp where uh, we would serve the people in the uh, in poverty in the Appalachia mountain range. And many youth groups would converge and they would split up the youth groups so you're serving with people that you've never met before. And it was just a great experience. And uh, one of our students, uh, Matt, he ended up becoming a great friend of mine. And, and Matt was a big Alabama fan. I mean, lived, ate Alabama football. His family were big Alabama fans. In fact, they threatened to take one of the sons out of the will because he got his master's from Auburn. <laughs> you know, they were Alabama people. And on this trip to Mountaintop, Matt got really close to one of the adult leaders they just connected. They had this chemistry, and, and he learned so much from her. And we'd have these little campfire experiences at, at night. And he said one night toward the end of the week, he said, this has been a transformative trip for me. And he put around his arm around his new friend, and he said, I've learned this week that Tennessee fans are people too. <laughs> Think about how your bias impacts you and the people around you. And when you treat people unfairly or differently, it can keep them from having a real relationship with Jesus. And when we understand that, the stakes go up and we want to be able to make sure we don't get in the way of people following Christ. Uh, the next thing we need to work on is just treating everyone the same. Now, I'm not talking about eradicating discrimination. That's not going to happen. We're human beings. But what I am talking about is within yourself and within this community here at Asbury, we foster genuine, authentic relationships with everyone. We should be curious about the people who are different than us, yet we're skeptical. Learning about someone's experiences and perspectives can help us dispel stereotypes and seek to understand other people. Invite God into the process. Pray for guidance. Ask for God to reveal what is happening. Ask for God to help you take those steps. The last thing I want to talk about is that for us to really get rid of favoritism, we have to widen our circle. 
Most of the time we spend all of our time with people who think and act just like us. Our social media algorithms push information to us that we already agree with rather than us seeing different perspectives. You know, our world, as it gets bigger and we learn more, it also gets smaller and we tend to segment out into our tribes rather than trying to understand other people. Seek out opportunities to engage with people who are different than you. There's a hundred different ways you can do this. Serving on you know, a PTO or uh, on your HOA board, for goodness sake, in your neighborhood. <laughs> where you can learn and be around people. Students, you can do this too. I mean, maybe tomorrow at lunch, sit at a different lunch table with people that you don't know. When we place ourselves into different situations, we learn and we grow. To be genuine doers of the word, We've got to uphold the value that everyone is important and that we treat each other with respect and honor. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up as we close this time. James doesn't mince words. In this chapter, chapter 2, he says that Playing favorites is not the way of Jesus. And I want to bring up that challenging us to think differently starts with looking in the mirror. It starts with us. It starts with us recognizing that Everyone's valuable, even if we don't understand them. When we do this, then we can truly begin to make a difference in the world around us. We, we make a difference by standing in what psychologist Parker Palmer calls the tragic gap. You know, the gap between the way it is and the way it should be. And when we stop playing favorites, we begin, we, we don't fix it for people, but we begin to stand in that gap. Stand in the gap between the poor and the rich. And we stand in the gap between the powerful and the weak. And we stand in the gap between the broken and the whole because when you boil it all down, we are all the same. God sees us all the same because we are all broken and we are all in need of God's love and God's grace. You know, about eight years ago, one of the staff members here 
Kim Burnett said a, uh, something to me that kind of stuck. And she said that once you see something, you can't unsee it. To me, that's just powerful. And that can be good or bad, right? And I want to encourage you that when we stop playing favorites, when we put all that aside, we are able to see the needs and the brokenness that's around us where we can not fix it, but stand in that gap and help each other come to a full relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to set aside our need to belong so that we cannot play favorites, so that we can walk with each other hand in hand and together be your body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.